0: The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your Hello host Barry Hello and welcome Barry back. Carales. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host Barry Correles, and you are listening to Pod to Chat, talking dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 19 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, everybody. Happy September. How is it, September? <laughs> I have no idea. Somehow we got here. The summer is pretty much over. What do they say? They say that like Labor Day weekend is the end of summer, even though it's like the fifteenth or twentieth, 20th, twentieth 20th probably of uh, September. But um, I don't know. Like it definitely feels like we're going into the new school year, and that the seasons are changing. Um, I'm, fo- I'm uh, recording on Wednesday this week. Should be coming on Saturday for this episode and. We're about to get the remnants of Tropical Storm Ida, Hurricane Ida, so um, hopefully we don't have any thunder or lightning in the middle of this, but if you are a crash, it's probably what it is. Um, so yeah. All right. What's new? Um, I will be actually, I'm recording early this week because I'm heading to Texas uh, to choreograph uh, some solos for micro Grand Prix and to teach for uh, two schools, one in Houston and one in San Antonio. Bayou City Ballet in Houston, Texas, and the Dance Center of San Antonio in San Antonio. Um, I'm really looking forward to going down and and, uh, creating for these students solos that they can uh, use in contemporary solos that they can use in competition, and also just like getting to know these new communities. Um, I haven't done a lot of like travel for work since uh, March, 2020. So it finally feels like that ball is starting to get rolling again. So I'm excited about that. What else? Um, I just finished working with, oh, i worked with uh, several students from Emerald Ballet Theater as well up in Bellevue, Washington, near Seattle, um, and created some solos virtually. So I'm a YGP solo machine this year. Um, but yeah, uh, what else is going on? Uh, when I come back, the school year will, the school year will start, and I'm teaching this year at Ballet School of Stamford in Connecticut, and I'll also be teaching one class for Broadway Dance Center's children's and teens program. Um, so that's pretty much what I've got set up for teaching so far this year. I don't have any regular classes for the general public coming up, um, but I am working on that. Um, it just might take some time, so uh, I'll keep on updating uh, my the general public teaching schedule um, on my social media. So be sure to follow me at uh, B Carolis on Instagram um, or go on to Facebook and friend me, although I'm almost like capped on Facebook. So um, you can do either, but uh, Instagram probably better. What else is going on? Um, oh, I have exciting news. Movement headquarters just received a $5,000 city artist core grant to put on performances of love letter in New York city parks in October. If you uh, have been with me for a while, you'll know that last year in response to the New York Post article that said, New York City is dead forever, um, I set out to disprove that by creating um, a series of performances and free movement classes in parks throughout uh, Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. Um, and the, the piece was essentially our like homage to why we love New York City so much um so I applied for a grant and we received a grant um I actually didn't think we we were going to do this in August but we got the grant later than I was hoping um so we've actually pushed the performances back to October but I'm really excited because we're going to put on a performance in each borough again Manhattan Queens and uh Brooklyn so I. you can enjoy this piece again and also dance with us. Um, I'll be definitely giving more information about these performances as we get closer to them, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be performing the 8th, 9th, and 10th. Is that a weekend? Um, I'm not pulling up my calendar, but um, I'm super, super excited about that. Um, We're also preparing to... uh, we're also preparing to have uh or to put on uh previews of our Land of the Sweets immersive nutcracker this December but I'm not going to get into that yet you'll get that information in the future all right so that was a quick and easy update right um so why not get to today's topic so um I am planning on by planning I am <laughs> so I am uh, going to be launching a essentially a dance consulting arm of my work. Um, I, I essentially want to make myself available as an advisor um, because I, for years and years and years, I've been uh, sought out for advice on a regular on a regular basis. Um, And sometimes my schedule, I mean, I I try my best to share as much as possible, but sometimes my schedule gets in the way and I can't like really commit my time to really like fully investing myself beyond like a a few tidbits of advice. Um, So I thought what better way to do that um, than to offer my services as a dance advisor. Um so that's exciting. <laughs> but yeah, so um I I've been thinking about this for a while because if if I look back and I'm going to talk about this in a second, um I've essentially been involved in offering advice online um in different formats for almost a decade at this point. Um and I I talk to people all across the world from uh Teens looking to make the decision between going to college and having a dance career to uh, adult recreational students who want to get into dance to uh, dance companies or, or people that are considering starting dance companies to uh, companies that are considering unionizing. So um, I figured that this seemed like the the next step in my, my work in this dance world. So um, <laughs> what's the thing they call people like a multi hyphenate? I definitely a multi hyphenate with like. The things that I do, um, and I, I, I thought that this might be a, a, hyphen that could be really valuable to offer myself in a very public way, to um, people who want to get advice, um, and guidance on different aspects of the dance world. Um. So yeah, that's what's happening, and I figured today that I would. I would talk about like kind of how I got here and then I want to offer you some, if you, if you listen through to the end of the episode, I will be offering some exclusive tips. Some of the most common tips um, that I, I often give um, to dancers and parents of dancers and uh, administrators and all the in between uh, adult students that too. Um, so yeah. Uh, so why exactly am I doing this? For years, people have asked me for advice. I don't know if it's a, a right time, right place situation, um, or if I just have that type of personality. Um, or <laughs> I guess maybe the, per, perhaps the most obvious is that I'm dance obsessed, um, or maybe a better way to say that is dance passionate. Um, but I've honestly been asked for advice my even before i started my professional dance career um i'm not just saying like a friend came up to me and asked for advice i'm i'm saying like from people seeking my uh expertise and knowledge and uh experience so yeah when i was a student the first time i really remember uh offering insight was to uh my childhood partner um about attending summer intensives so uh this is like a dance partner she um was a year behind me and she our our school that we went to wasn't necessarily a school that um really advocated for students to like go away to summer intensives. Um, if a student showed interest in it, they would definitely support, uh, the dancer to get to, to that place. Um, but, uh, it wasn't like, oh, everybody is preparing for summer program auditions. It just wasn't that type of school. Um, so yeah, my, my first, one of my first dance partners, um, we, I had like, it, it's funny how that ends up happening, but there were like three girls in the school that I would, I would, uh. Work on like pot to do with or compete with at Youth America Grand Prix or like a jazz competition. But yeah, so, um, I had attended Houston Ballet Academy the year prior um, to this moment that I'm talking about. And um, I had also auditioned for about a dozen other summer programs the year prior. So I was like starting to understand how that system worked. Um, Obviously it's shifted and changed over the years, but at the time, um, the only way you could be considered was to either go to an audition or to fly to the site of the school to be seen. Um, there was no such thing as like virtual auditions or like sending a, like a video, um, unless you were an international student. So, um, I also was always convinced that I wasn't going to get into any programs. So I thought if I auditioned for a ton of programs, maybe I'll get into one. Um, but yeah, so I auditioned for a bunch of places, uh, in both Washington, DC and in New York city. I lived in around the Philly suburbs at the time and funny, like barely anybody went to Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, so I, I had a good idea of like how things worked and I ended up going to Houston Ballet Academy um, for my first summer. So we would uh, sit down and discuss everything that it took from audition prep to selecting where to audition. And then once you get to the audition, how you should act in the audition, um, what, you ex- what you should expect. There would be times that you would think you were gonna go in right away, but too many people would show up and they'd end up cutting it in half. And then you'd have like an extra hour, hour and a half to wait to be seen. Um, so yeah, we, I, I, I explained everything to her so that she would be as prepared as possible to do well at the, uh, at the auditions that she went to. I don't remember how many places she actually auditioned for, but she ended up getting, uh, into Houston Ballet Academy. Um, and so did I, and we, we actually ended up attending the program together. So thinking back, like that's one of the first times that I, I, I can think of where I was able to like use my experience to like help somebody else, um, find their way into like a pathway forward with, uh, for success. Um, of course that happened and in the moment, like I wasn't like thinking of it. I was just like, oh my God, I get to go to a summer program with my, my like local, uh, dance partner and friend. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the first time after that, I remember sitting down with friends. Um, so after that summer, I went to the Kirov Academy of Ballet and the School of American Ballet. Um, And I remember sitting down with um, friends and peers regularly and we would talk about everything from company auditions to analyzing technique, um, how to approach class like for maximum improvement and whether that means like working before, during or after class um, and then like ways to condition yourself and so much more. Um, while I was at the school American ballet, I act, I, I said actually a million times then becoming super aware of it. So I'm just going to stop micromanaging myself. But yes, while I was at school American ballet, I, uh, auditioned for about 15 companies. Again, like I said, when I did summer programs, I was convinced I wasn't going to get an offer. So I thought if I auditioned for so many, maybe somebody will be interested. Uh, and, and I ended up receiving contract offers for nearly half of those companies, can't remember exactly where, but uh, I ended up going to, to Houston Ballet. Um, but I also got jobs with Kansas City Ballet, Alberta Ballet, Carolina Ballet, um, Pennsylvania Ballet too, and like one or two other companies. Um, but yeah, so I, I ended up getting that job with Houston and I started my career. Um, apprentice years are super, super stressful and complicated. And at Houston Ballet, you can uh, actually like per their union contract, you can only remain an apprentice for one entire contract year. So at the end of your like trial year, you either have to be promoted into the core, um, or you get fired. Um, so it was like a regular conversation amongst us six apprentices, um, about like, Oh my God, are we going to get promoted? Or are we going to get fired? Um, so it was pretty intense um, and when it wasn't clear whether I would be promoted or not, uh, the audition process for me continued um, before I even knew um, if it was going to happen. Um, but it, it happened in a different way. Once you are professional, the way that you audition is very, very different than when you um, are trying to break into a career. It's it's super uncommon to be invited to take company class when you have no professional experience. But once you have significant professional experience um it's a lot more likely for you to go on site and take company class versus like attending a cattle call not that it doesn't happen um but that's how it is or it was i mean here's the thing also like who knows how things are going to evolve uh with everything that's happened with covid so like i know for instance a lot of musical theater uh dancers like whether it's broadway or national tours um they've haven't been having their cattle call auditions they've been doing self-tapes where you have to actually like film yourself uh acting singing dancing um so that's also an an of an evolving landscape. But yeah, so the, the audition process changes uh, when you have no experience to uh, when you have experience. And that's something that I learned then. I... In 2004, was it that long ago? That's like almost 20 years ago, It's nuts. In 2004, I finally landed at Pacific Northwest Ballet and I had the luxury of becoming a valued senior core dancer. Um, so during the seven years that I was there, I, I was lucky enough to get to dance leading roles um, and I, I got to navigate the entire system within the company, but I, I wasn't fully fulfilled the entire time that I was there. Like, I wanted to be a star. I wanted to be promoted. I wanted the recognition of the work that I was doing and had done. Um, so I began looking for opportunities to uh, feel more fulfilled outside of the studio. Uh, I can't remember the exact year, but there was a company that was started by two former Pacific Northwest Ballet dancers called Seattle Dance Project. Timothy Lynch, um, who's down in San Diego and uh, has a school there. And then Julie Tobiason, who is a principal dancer with uh, Passevinotas Ballet. Um, they had started a, a company called Sail Dance Project. And I was friendly with them. And I reached out and said that I'd be interested in helping out. And I actually did some PR work for them. So I wrote press releases. I would put their uh, events in calendars and just try to, like, Get the word out about the company and um, try to get butts and seats in at all uh, in in their shows. Um, I also joined a donor cultivation group called Backstage Pass for Pacific Northwest Ballet as the dancer liaison. And while I was there, I learned about uh, essentially like educating an audience and then also um, how to introduce uh, patrons, theater goers, um, how to introduce them to. Um, uh, supporting the arts and then cultivating them so that as they grew um, into the organization and in their own personal careers, that they also would um, become greater supporters of the company. Um, and then the last thing that I, I did that was sort of parallel to my career at Pacific Northwest Ballet, which I've talked a lot about on this on this uh, podcast, is that I became a union delegate with the American Guild of Musical Artists. Um, and I, I did that to help my fellow dancers and to learn about the management side of dance companies. Um, I've always kind of known that I wanted to... Lead a company since I started my professional career, um, and I guess because maybe I was lucky in the sense that I wasn't promoted super quickly through Pacific Northwest Ballet because it it made me want to seek more, and um, obviously I couldn't force my way up the the ladder of ranks within the company, so instead of focusing one hundred percent on like promotion, 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 I was willing to allow little parts of myself to contribute to the organization in other ways. And through that, I actually learned about a lot of the internal workings of a major dance company that with over a $20 million budget. Um, so yeah, when, when I became a, a delegate for AGMA, this is where my consulting with dancers or my advising with dancers really began. Every day I was taking in information from dancers regarding their personal and professional concerns. Um, I would, the second I would walk in the studio and I just wanted to like stretch a little bit before we would warm up, um, people, dancers would come up running to me and they'd be like, I need you, I need to talk to you about something. And I'd either be like, okay, let's talk about it or let's talk about it later. And I carried a book of like, um, a, a book that I would write down the dancers' concerns. Um, and then I would have to go to meetings or go directly to management. um, And I would have to run certain concerns across management. Um, So often what would end up happening is with the dancers, if I didn't think it was something that should necessarily go to management, I would offer them advice. Um, And uh, if it, if it was something that had to go to management often, I would have to offer advice to management um, to help us sort of find a middle ground. So um, I'd say that this is like really when I started to feel more like an an advocate and an advisor in the dance world. Um, But it's not really like completely where uh, things started to change at that point. Um, It was just kind of like something I did um, because I wanted the organization to run better and I wanted the dancers to be happy. And I wanted uh, I wanted to uh, just advocate for for dancers. Um, so yeah, by the time I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, I had a major understanding of where dancers needed support, how dance organizations run, um, how to educate audiences, and so much more. Uh, little did I know that leaving the comfort of a major company like Pacific Northwest Ballet would show me so much. So after uh, after I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, I joined Ballet X. And um, if you've listened to my podcast, you know that that uh, started off really great and then ended up collapsing very quickly when I had to deal with an injury. Um, And essentially like mismanagement of that injury from the administrative side of the company and then uh, just like traversing the landscape uh, of trying to make things work and then when they didn't work, having to move on. so when I when I left balletx, I started freelancing, and I spent a, a lot of time learning how to market myself, um, and uh, how to negotiate and write contracts, and uh, be able to read. I mean, I'd, I'd already learned how to read like major contracts with uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet, um, but most contracts on a freelance basis are like one or two pages long, where Pacific Northwest Ballet, I think it was like 60 pages long um, by the time that I left. Um, but so I learned all about that. I learned how to coordinate travel and, uh, essentially I was, while I was dancing, I was also my own manager. So I learned management skills, uh, at that point. Um, I also started blogging around then, um, that's when I did my life of a freelance dancer. And in reality, like that's really truly when I started like advising on like a a larger scale. Um, For me, it was like a tool where I could market myself. And then I could also uh, market companies if I worked for them. So it was enticing for them to want to work with me. And then also, I like the idea that I couldn't find anything online. And that if I wrote about it, that people would be able to to use it, excuse me, um, but people would be able to use it, um, for their own benefit in the future. So that's like really where it started. And it started off pretty small, but over the five years that I wrote, it gained a a very large audience around the world. And that's really when people would reach out to me and be like, I'm thinking about leaving this company and freelancing. What would you, what advice would you give me? Um, or even when the blog became successful, um, I know a lot of dancers, uh, this is maybe like, around the time Instagram started coming out, um, they wanted to find different ways to promote themselves or things that they liked or find like parallel, uh, put out parallel information to like their dance careers. Um, when I say that, I mean like, if you're launching like a dancewear line or, um, healthy food for dancers. Um, so I, people would reach out to me, how did you get started blogging? And I would like give them information about how I started to build that, uh, that media network that I, that I've, essentially become over, over the years. Um, so when I finished my freelance career, I transitioned, uh, from, from my performing career into teaching recreational, pre-professional, professional college, uh, students, open classes, uh, with adults and kids and, um, everything in between. I also started choreographing for students and professionals, um, which, Eventually led to me starting my own company, working for competitions like Youth America Grand Prix and more. Um, so all of these things have offered me a unique toolbox of information that I've been sharing for years through blogging, um, through this podcast, through writing uh, for dance magazine and the other dance media publications, um, and really like one-on-one time with uh, people who have reached out to me um, when I have the the ability to give back. Um, so this is not like something that I just out of nowhere was like, oh my God, I want to do this thing. Um, it's really like a natural, um, it's a natural development of the work that I'm already doing. And I, I just want to offer it on a, a much larger scale, um, and in a more coordinated fashion so that I am more easily accessible to people, um, dancers and everybody in between. Um, so yeah, yeah. That is why I've decided to do this. So hopefully you've made it this far into the podcast. We're 23 minutes in at this point. I'll probably be longer when we put my intro on. Um, But uh, I thought that a great way to sort of like seal the deal with this podcast episode would be um, for me to offer you uh, some exclusive tips. Um, Pretty much like these are some of the most common things that um, pieces of advice uh, that I have given people over the years. Um, so I thought I would do that because it's just like a fun, a fun thing. And also if it, if it helps you, it helps you. And that's, that's spectacular and great. Um, so where do I want to start is the question. Okay. Well, first things first, I'm going to, this is like a general tip for anybody. I would offer this to dancers at Pacific Northwest Ballet all the time. I use the advice for myself. All the time, um, if you're upset about something, whether it be like casting or the way that somebody treated you, or maybe uh, an employer didn't pay you on time, or maybe like you uh, had an issue in a in a rehearsal um, or anything like that, um, I always recommend that uh, you have one sleep. <laughs> exactly one sleep before you say anything, whether that's like an email. Or a text message, or a phone call, or like asking for a meeting. I mean, you can plan the meeting beforehand, but like make sure you sleep at least once since the thing has happened before you actually approach it with somebody. Unless it's one of those situations where you really have no choice. Um, I find that when something happens, we tend to be very emotional. I mean, especially dancers, like we're very in touch with our bodies. We work really, really hard. Sometimes we're exhausted and we can't hold it in. Um, I, I I feel that uh, dancers. Uh, They just have a different way of tapping into their emotions. So I think that sleeping at least once before you approach a tricky topic that you're feeling emotional about is a super smart thing to do because um, almost always when you wake up in the morning, you have a different perspective. Maybe you're not as angry as you were before. Um, Maybe you're not as sad or upset as you were before. Um, or maybe, uh, you wanted to go in and give it to them. And then you wake up and you realize like, no, I really just want to get this fixed and going in and giving it to them is not going to actually fix the situation. So that was probably like, uh, I mean, not was, but that is probably like one of the number one pieces of advice that I give out to anybody. And that's not just like dance advice. That's like life advice. Um, it's so much easier to have a, 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 pause, um, before you react to something. Because often if you re- react immediately, um, you haven't really like con- constructed what you want to say. And then also if your emotions are running high, sometimes those take control versus you being in control. So that's like a general one for anybody. Um, for auditioning dancers uh, or, or company dancers, sorry. For company dancers, um, we always have this feeling that our career is finite. Like you're told if you choose to start going a professional track as a dancer in any genre, um, you're told that there's a timeline um, that's finite and that you are going to have to like make the most out of your career. So what we do is we start to like read articles about other dancers. Um, we start to watch other dancers in the organizations around us, whether that's a school, a university, a, a company, um, on TV, on Instagram. And we start to like build this, uh, fake timeline in our head of like, okay, by 20, I need this to happen. By 25, I want to be promoted to soloist. By 27, I need to get my first Broadway show. Um, by 32, I want to have performed uh, choreography by these three people. Um, by 37, I want to start winding down um, or maybe I want to have a child. Uh, by I, I don't want to have any kids. I'm just saying something random. Um, but but uh, we tend to do this. But um, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever heard, and it wasn't offered to me, um, and I've shared this on this podcast before, um, it was actually Cody Brazos, who was the physical therapist at Houston Ballet while I was uh, with the company. Um, one of the dancers was performing a soda shah in class, and she landed sideways on her foot and broke her foot. And it was like one of those uh, like tragic moments where like somebody has to carry the dancer while they're sobbing in pain, like holding onto themselves, their ankles or like whatever is hurting them, and then they're carried to the physical therapy room, and then they break down because they're hurt, but also they realize like they're out, and they don't know how long they're going to be out for. Um, and this dancer, she was, um, she had a couple of really great roles that uh, she was preparing for. And she was feeling like she was on track to get promoted to soloist in that year or the, the following year. Also, we had a new director, which is always stressful. Um, and Cody just very calmly turned to the dancer and I just happened to be in the room and he goes, sweetheart, there is no timeline to a dance career. And I thought that that was really, a, I mean, very wise, wise advice because we we all create these, like I said, these false timelines and... The thing is like, if you exceed your timeline, then it's like super gratifying. Um, If you're on your timeline, you go, okay, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. But if you're not on your timeline, you start to feel bad about yourself. But the thing is a lot of those things that happen on that timeline have absolutely nothing to do with how hard you're working, um, with the the roles that you do, like, Promotion often is a combination of factors. There are so many dancers in companies that don't get promoted um, until years after they've earned it. It's part of the reason why I left Pacific Northwest Ballet. I thought I felt that I had earned it, and I felt that it was nowhere in sight. Um, But yeah, so uh, dancers they they just they just get this idea that they have to they have to be in the right place at the right time on their timeline, when in reality, um, those things could happen at any point. Like I knew some dancers who got promoted to principal well into their thirties. A lot of people say, if you don't get promoted in your twenties, like it's never gonna happen. Um, One of my favorite dancers, Maria Chapman at Pacific Northwest Ballet, um, she was in the core for over 10 years. Um, She was my first uh, partner on stage in Symphony in C. Um, as a demi soloist in the fourth movement uh, when I joined the company. And I can't remember when she got promoted. It might've been three or four years after I, I got into the company. Um, but she had been there for 10 years. And the thing is, Maria was a spectacular dancer, but she had cra- the craziest, most flexible feet you've ever seen in your life. Like really crazy. They, they, she used to be like the block model um, for Point Juice. And Um, the thing was she was a spectacular dancer, but she was kind of weak because her feet were so flexible. So she had to spend these 10 years, 12 years really building up her strength. And then once she like got promoted to soloist within like a year or two, she was a principal. Um, and all that happened in her thirties. Um, I think it was in her thirties either that or her like late, late twenties. Um, but yeah, it's like, it just goes to show you, there is no timeline to a dance career. And we're learning even more that there are so many different ways to dance and continue dancing and people are starting to have uh, like rewarding careers later in life. So stop giving yourself a full timeline. It's okay to have like goals, um, but don't feel like you can't shift that timeline. It It, it doesn't have to be permanent. So yeah. Um, Okay, for adult dancers, um, I constantly get asked about retaining choreography. Um, A lot of adult dancers are either they started training as a kid, they had a long time where they didn't dance and they came back as adults or some start as adults because they were always interested but didn't have access to it. Um, So yeah, for adult dancers, when it comes to retaining choreography, I always tell them focus on finding patterns, um, especially in ballet, like we have on qual front side, back side. That's like, if somebody says on qual, you don't have to think about, is it the, is it, where does it go? You go front side, back side. There's also, uh, often front side, back, and then you do another step. So it's like tandu front, tandu side, tondu back, pas de cheval. Um, and then you do tandu back, tandu side, tondu front, pas de cheval. So, um, that's very, very, very basic, but it's, that's a pattern that con that happens constantly. Um, you can do front side, inside leg, and then you can do back side, inside leg. Um, Often we do things in twos, fours, and eights. Um, All those things can help adult dancers retain choreography faster so that they can actually focus on the technique of the class that they're doing versus just worrying about if they're doing things the the steps. Um, And then when it comes to actual choreography and center, whether it's ballet or contemporary or tap or anything in between, um, it's really helpful to... uh, find pillars in pieces of choreography and that's like things that you're already comfortable with so say for some reason you latch on to a step like 16 counts in like it's a you grab your heart and you start pulsing like your chest maybe for some reason that just speaks to you um and you're not quite sure what comes before it um and you're not quite sure what comes after it but you know that if you get lost at least by the point that that happens you can catch up and hopefully get back on track Um, The other thing is to give things names. In ballet, it's easier to remember choreography because we have, like, technical names for steps. But in more contemporary forms of dance, um, we don't always have names for them. So it might be nice to give a name. So say that, like, you uh, take your hand and you push it to the right and you wave it across your body. You can call it the arm wave. Um, Say that you... um, reach down with your hands like almost like holding a cup and you slowly rise. You can say, pick up the cup. Um, and if you start to come up with those terms, you'll actually be able to speak the story of the the steps in your head and it will help you remember and retain choreography. Um, so that's for my adult dance. I mean, that's really for anybody, but I have a lot of adult dancers that go, petite allegro, I can't remember it, or I go, I'm fine at bar and then I, I go to a contemporary class and I can't remember the choreography. Um, so that's that. What else? Um, for new dance companies, um, people who are or people who are considering starting a dance company, I always tell them: make sure you get a fiscal sponsor. Um, a fiscal sponsor is a nonprofit organization. Um, sometimes you pay them a fee. Uh, sometimes you don't. Um, but they allow you to funnel donations into their organization, and then they re-grant you the money, usually minus a small fee, um, so that you uh, can offer tax deductible benefits. So. Um, you might not know this, but, um, if you run like a Kickstarter, like a crowdsourcing, uh, campaign, usually people are going to, they'll, they'll, give you money if it's like $50 or less because they're like, they're not going to miss it. Um, but for most larger donors, anybody who's going to donate $50 or more, um, usually, or at least a hundred or more, um, most larger donors will not give, uh, to an organization if they're not going to receive some type of, uh, Benefit, and when I say benefit, I don't mean like um, you get to talk to the choreographer. Um, I mean an actual financial benefit. So, depending on what like a person's tax bracket is, based off of how much money they make each year, um, you can actually give and donate to five hundred one c three nonprofit organizations, um, and if it's funneled through that specific type of organization, you actually get to write off some of your donation and it can actually lower you out of your tax bracket so that you don't have to pay as much in taxes. So um, it's actual like motivation for individuals to donate to the arts and uh, humanities and other uh, nonprofit organizations. Um, So anybody who's considering starting a dance company, of course, you could go for the for-profit model, but you're, you're going to have to make income pretty quickly, where um, if you would like to rely on the support of donors, um, you're gonna need a fiscal sponsor so that your donors get some type of financial benefit for contributing to your art. Um, I recently was uh, actually talking to uh, Jenny Winton, who is starting um, a company in Aspen, Colorado, Uh, who, so Aspen Santa Fe Ballet decided to close its doors and left a bunch of their dancers, um, without jobs in the middle of pandemic. So she has been, uh, actually working towards starting, starting a company. And there was just an article I saw the other day and I was so proud because, um, she actually called me, um, at the beginning of this idea to start this company um, because I recently did this in the past couple of years as well. Um, So I got to share a lot of information with her. And that was the very first thing that I shared with her. Um, This one's not going to be something that it comes up very commonly, but uh, I've actually been approached for uh, talks about unionization with Oregon Ballet Theater, Miami City Ballet, and Sarasota Ballet. Um, The best time... To unionize. Oh, I'm going to get to that in a second. I got ahead of myself. I got notes that I like, I points I want to, I, I don't want to miss. And Sometimes I they pull me in their direction. I felt the gravity. But no, um, so yeah, for unionization, this isn't like as common of a thing because most uh, like regional to national companies in the United States have joined the American Guild of Musical Artists. Um, but for, so, for, for one reason or another, I tend to be a person that people reach out to when, uh, a company is thinking about, uh, doing this, even though I'm no longer, uh, affiliated with Agma in the way that I was when I was dancing with Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, but yeah, so usually, uh, when, when a company wants to unionize, it's one of two things, either things aren't functioning properly or surprisingly people People would think that would be the only reason um the the other reason that they often do it is because companies are often looked at as better companies when they are unionized um like if the benefits are better if you're getting paid more if the repertoire is better um and you have protections dancers are more likely to want to audition for a, a, that that company so a lot of companies also just want to unionize because it it almost like uh what's the word i'm looking for it's I can't find the exact word, but it provides like proof of like the quality of of the organization. Um, So yeah, advice, the best time to unionize is during a transition period for an organization. Um, Unionization is often a very stressful uh, conversation to have um, between a company of dancers and management. Um, I remember, uh, I feel like I might've talked to somebody in Miami City Ballet too, Um, did I say that? Yeah, my, I guess I did say that, because um, Miami City Ballet, I believe, is still not Union. But um, nobody wanted to Unionize under Edward Vallella because the dancers loved him. And granted, yes, there were issues. There are issues in every company, Union or not. Um, they didn't want to offend him or upset that like good balance that they had uh, of, of like boss versus dancers. Um, but when Eddie was pushed out of uh, Miami City Ballet and... Um, they were looking for a, uh, uh, I'm losing my words. They're looking for the person who was going to take over. Um, they, they were thinking about unionizing because they knew that it wouldn't be offensive to the, to the former director and that the new director hadn't yet stepped in. So it was like kind of the perfect time, um, for them to consider unionization, um, So yeah, joining a union isn't a black and white good deal. There are a ton of factors that are positive and negative about joining a union. Um, Dancers are going to lose money in their their paychecks because uh, the union takes some money out of it. So if the dancers are looking for better salaries, it's actually probably gonna get worse initially um, because even if they negotiate higher salaries, more of the money is going to be taken out. Um, there's also a great reduction in touring abilities for unionized companies because um, certain roles are put in place that uh, just make it less uh, lucrative. So companies are a lot less likely to go touring that definitely happened at Pacific Northwest Ballet when I was there, um, and yeah, there there could be potentially negative impacts on positive relationships in an already functioning management situation. So, um, in talking about unionization with unionization with these with these uh, dancers in these companies, um, that was u- usually like looking for the right time, and then also just like looking at what are going to be positive and negative factors. And unionization, what would be the conversations that we had? All right. I got two more tips for you guys and I got to get going. It's starting to rain outside real heavy. You're going to get a few inches. Thanks, Ida. Um, So yeah, for dance related careers, So this is like not a performance career, um, but uh, one piece of advice that I often offer to people is just that like not having a performance career isn't a bad thing. Um, Obviously, like when you're training for a performance career, yeah, we want you to have it. And if you're really talented, like, it would be a shame to not see you perform on a stage. A professional stage um and to see you grow as an artist but for those that like train and then they choose to go to college or they have like a two-year performance career and then they choose to move on um so many of these dancers end up doing things that uh bring them keep them involved in the dance world without them having to like stay in shape and be on stage um and a lot of these things are super super important um like, for instance, for instance, one of my—actually, my, my physical therapist at Harkness Center for Dance Injuries, Sarah um, Sarah Ettery, she uh, used to dance with Pennsylvania and Balsam Ballet, and she danced for five or six years, and now she's a great physical therapist who understands how to help dancers get back on stage uh, after injuries. Um, there's also— um, dancers that become doctors or dancers that become arts lawyers, Um, dancers who end up doing dance journalism, dancers who end up becoming executive directors or uh, financial people who help bring money into the arts and then uh, all of those types of things. Um, So just because somebody is questioning whether a performance career is for them and then they they don't know what direction to go. There are so many dance related careers out there um, and pathways to get to them and ways to deal with your disappointment of not having the performance career, but also uh, finding ways to turn it into a positive. So that's the conversation I've, I've had several times um, throughout my life with other people. Um, okay, last one. This one's for, since it's the, the last episode was on a... The school year starting, I figured I would end this one with school year stuff. So for high school juniors and seniors, it is uh, more and more common for dancers who are on the fence about a dance career um, to take a gap year after they finish high school to really focus on intensive training and to see if they are mature enough uh, and able to handle the li- and the lifestyle or if the, to see if the lifestyle is for them. Um, So many dancers feel at 18 years old that they have to make the decision then to have a dance career or to go to college. Um, But it's not as black and white as it used to be. Um, Also, a lot of people feel like if they don't, if they get into a college and they don't go right away, that if they end up not making it, if they try to have the career, that um, that opportunity won't be there for them anymore. And it's just not true. like I said, it's becoming more and more common to take a gap year or two. Um, And most people don't know that universities will allow students to defer acceptance for one to two years. Um, Sometimes it's complicated. There was a dancer at American Ballet Theater, Puanani Brown, who um, she got into Harvard. And so what happened was she could defer, I think, for two years. And so she, oh, she started at New York City Ballet as an apprentice and then she left and she went to Harvard for one semester, which allowed her to actually indefinitely, um, defer her enrollment. And then she went to American Ballet Theater, had a, like a nice solid career. And then when she retired, she went back and finished her degree at Harvard, um, but yeah, most universities will allow one to two years of deferring, um, and that's like the perfect pocket of time for a dancer to go and actually see if they they can and want to have a dance career. Um, and if they don't, they get all this in- interesting experience that makes them more interesting for colleges, gives them life uh, life experience, um, and then they, they can move on with their college. Or if you go into it and you end up having a wonderful performance career, then you can go to college afterwards and you have this wonderful performance career. So, um, I know there's so much pressure on juniors and seniors. there's probably way more pressure now than there ever was before because the world is in such like flux. Um, but it's not a bad thing to have a year or two off and to try to dedicate yourself to see if you want to have a dance career or can. So yeah, those are my quick tips for everybody. Um, if you are interested in, uh, working with me in, uh, advisory type capacity, um, you can email me at bcorolis, B-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S at yahoo.com. You can also message me on my Instagram at B-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S or shoot me a DM on Facebook. Um, and, uh, we can chat and see if, if I can help you out. Um, this is one of my favorite things to do because I mean, I've been offering advice, podcasting and, and blogging since 2012, my 10 year anniversary will be coming up, um, in, in the next season. Um, so I'm glad to now be able to offer this to the general like population. Um, so yeah, I hope that you, uh, found this episode interesting. I hope that you got some, uh, some, uh, insight and, uh, the, the advice that I, I offered my little, like most common tips that I, I share. I hope that, um, you found them helpful. Uh, as always, if, uh, you have any podcast ideas that you'd like to hear me talk about, please uh, reach out to me. It's funny. It comes in like waves. Sometimes I get like five, uh, like audience requests for topics in like a week. And then I don't hear from anybody for three months. And I'm kind of in a quiet period. I think everybody's just been enjoying the summer. So if you have anything that you want me to talk on, let me know and I'll see what I can do. Okay. That's all folks. I will talk to you in two weeks and we can sit down and talk dance again. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod the Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorliss.com. Again, that's www.barrycorliss.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. You can also check out my company, Movement Headquarters, by visiting www.movementhqballet.org. If you, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. See, I keep on getting ahead of myself. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, please check out my sister podcast on the Premiere Dance Network. If you wanna connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B Corollis. My company's Instagram account is at movement underscore headquarters or on Twitter at Briskos. Also be sure to check out my blogs. I wrote for five years about the uh, working as a freelance uh, artist and also traveling the country as an independent contractor on Life of Freelance Dancer. And then I also wrote uh, for a period of time uh, on Dancing Off Stage, uh, where I wrote about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have two YouTube channels if you want to check out my choreography. My personal one is B Corollas and then my company one is Movement Headquarters. Thanks for listening in and talking dance with me. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.